This is the most challenging thing in the world. <laughs> I've already lost three people and I haven't said a word. <laughs> uh, there are people in life we want to impress. We want to do things that make them remember us. We, uh, if you ever watch America's Got Talent, that's Abby's favorite show. We go on there all the time. Uh, record it, go back and watch it. And one of the things the judges say is this, this is something we're going to remember. That's what to impress means, cause somebody to remember you. You want uh, certain people. Who are some people you want to impress? Go ahead. Come on. What? Your coach. Yeah, you want to show up with such zeal and such determination and strength that that coach says, I take notice of him. Who else? Your boss. Why? Because you want to keep your job. And you might want to promote one day, so you do those things. You do your job well, you look good. What else? Parents. Sometimes. Now, teenagers are going to be like, what? No, really, you want to impress your parents sometimes. Your spouse. I mean, if you really want to impress him, Melissa knows exactly what dish to cook at night. She knows exactly. I can tell. When she really wants to, you know, put the smile on my face, she's got fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy and green beans, right? So there's certain things you know. There, there are other people you might want to be impressed. Now, you've got to be careful with this because you can go overboard, right? Uh, the dating couple where that girl just thinks, I love hunting, I love football. And then they get married and he realizes that was a lie. Um, or or, or she wants, he wants to impress her and says, I just love your... Your classical music on Sirius Radio, ooh yeah. And then they get married and he can't stand ever. You know, it's hard to keep it up if you're trying to fake it a little bit. But you want to impress people. Who are the people you want to impress most? And then here's the question, I guess. The, the idea is to find out where those people are and what will impress them. But here's my question for us as Christians on a Sunday afternoon when we're dragging tired. How bad you want to impress God? How bad, at the end of your day, your week... You want God to be impressed with what you've done, how you've lived. We have an example of that right after the Sermon on the Mount where we've been in Matthew chapter 8. We have an example of a person who the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, looks at and says, this is an amazing person. This is an amazing faith. Well, you ought to lean in and say, you know, that's the kind of thing. I want to live in a way that pleases and impresses and causes my Lord to remember me. How do you do that? Well, that's what we have in this, this, this particular guy. And, that, and that's not always great because there was one guy, who or there was one town, actually, that impressed Jesus. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He comes to his hometown, and everybody knows he can heal, but they don't bring him anybody. I've seen this guy grow up. I don't, I don't think he's anything special. We're not going to bring any of our sick because we don't believe any of it's true. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. That's not the kind of thing... I'm thinking about. I, I'm thinking about what my version says, making the master marvel. What will cause him to be impressed with us? So Matthew chapter 8, beginning verse 5, and when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. You say, okay, I'll come and heal him. Jesus says, I'm going to do it. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just tell me you will, 
Just give me your word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority. The soldiers are under me. I say to one, go, he has to go. I say to another one, come here, and he has to come here. Do this, and he does it. And Jesus heard this. It says, he marveled. He marveled at the faith of this guy and said to those who followed him, the disciples, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found faith like that. And by this you can go, ooh. A Gentile impressed Jesus more than any Jew ever had. Them there's fighting words. I tell you, many will come to, to me or come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, it will be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Jesus takes a double take. I've not seen faith like this. What was amazing? What made the master marvel at this guy? He used this guy as kind of like a prod for everybody. You ever been in a class where they used the star pupil to make everybody else feel bad? You ever been in a case like this? Ninth grade English. I'll never forget this, and I don't know why. We were in English, and, and she says, you can make a noun into a verb. That just blew my mind. You can make a noun into a verb. And so she made the challenge. I, 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 go home and try to make banana into a verb. I went home and didn't give it another thought. I don't really care whether you can turn banana into a verb or not. But that star pupil girl, I still know her name, that star pupil girl thought about it all night long. She gets up in the class and the teacher says, anybody think about this? And of course all of us said, no, we haven't even thought another thing of it since we left yesterday. And of course her hand goes up and says, I've got it. And she gets up and she says, will you please banana my cereal? Banana is a verb. And the teacher lights up and says, oh, I wish I, wish I had a hundred pupils like you. She said pupils. She did. Who says pupils? English teachers. She said, I wish we had pupils like this, and the rest of us are like, well, we're just scum. And we all looked at her with that look of disgust. You know, your eyes kind of... And at that moment, I wanted to tomato her. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What about this guy? He's using this centurion to spur others on. And it does make me wonder... If I really want to make the master marvel, how do I do it? And the first thing you notice in this passage, this story is a little weird, and it, it's going to bother some of you. It should. It bothered me for a long time. Luke says, or Matthew here says, the centurion came to Jesus. But when Luke records it, the centurion never came himself. The centurion never spoke to Jesus. The centurion never approached Jesus. The centurion never looked at him. The centurion sent Jewish elders to Jesus with this message. So here's the question. Is Matthew right or is Luke right? Well, if, you're gonna be, if we're going to say it's an errant, then Randy has to be right. This is a problematic thing. The story itself solves it, by the way. But here's the point of it. He actually does not see Jesus ever. But this centurion, when he sends somebody, it's just as well him that's coming. That's the point of the story. When he gives an order, it's just as well he did it. And so he sends these Jewish elders to appeal to Jesus to help a Gentile centurion. 
Why would a Jewish elder make a passionate plea for a Gentile centurion to be healed by Jesus? And he explains it in the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel, he says, in, in Luke, he says, this man deserves to have you. He says he's worthy of being healed by you because he's learning about our faith and he has funded our synagogue. This centurion, while not a Jew, he hasn't gone through all the motions to become a Jew yet. He is very, very devoted to the Jewish faith. He is learning. He is researching. He's studying. He's coming to Bible class. He's coming to worship. Not only that, but when, the, when they needed money to keep the, the synagogue going, he is the one who gave them the money. He is putting his money where his mouth is, and he's wanting to know God bad. And so he is zeroing in. He is searching for God. And one of the things that impresses God is when you go to great lengths to study him because you want to know. How bad do you want to know? I'm talking to a Sunday afternoon crowd that'd like to be taking a nap right now, so I'm talking to the wrong ones. Do you want to know bad enough to come to Bible class every time? Does it drive you to do that? Because I want to know. I want to draw as close as I can and learn as much as I can about him. Think about baseball players, and, and, and the coach favors the people who come to practice every time, who hire private tutors for softball pitching or playing or hitting who go to camps that are very expensive and far away, and who have parents who follow them all across the country every weekend to every ball game or tennis match or volleyball game. They put their money where their mouth is. This is somebody serious about their playing. This is somebody serious about their sport. I want a person on my team who is really, really zealous and enthusiastic and wants to grow this way. And you know what God loves? He loves it when people are so enthusiastic about their faith, they're willing to put their money into it. Those of you who send your kids to church camp, I know what your point is. God's pleased with that. But notice another thing. This guy comes to Jesus not just because he wants to know more about the faith, but because he wants to have his servant healed. His servant is a tool. He's a possession. A servant is, is somebody who helps you with stuff, but you don't have to consider him human. He's lower socioeconomically than the centurion, and yet he desperately wants Jesus to give his attention to this servant of his, a person who looks after somebody lower than him, a person who, who befriends this person, not because it gives them social capital, not because it, it, it enhances their reputation. No, no, in fact, it, it lowers it. I think what a generation of young people would it be if we had enough kids who were so devoted to their faith and so sure of the confident of their walking in that faith that they could befriend people lower than them without feeling threatened. How about adults? The disciples said, uh, children, get out of here. Jesus doesn't need you because children contributed nothing to the reputation of a rabbi. Jesus says, don't you discourage him from coming to me. The kind of faith that makes the master marvel is the one that's able to look at people of a lower status than themselves and love them and serve them and encourage them without feeling threatened by it at all. In fact, Jesus says, let me tell you about throwing a Christian party. You know who you should invite to your house for a party? The people who could never repay you. The people who can't have a party in, in response and invite you to it. I want you to invite those kinds of people. 
And when you do that, it impresses God. Why? I think because God's that way with all of us. Who is, Jesus, who is lower than God? Everybody. For him to relate and love anybody requires him to lesser himself, to lower himself, to befriend somebody. And when we do that, we look a whole lot like the God we serve, and that impresses the master. That makes the master marvel. So, young people, if you can go to, if you have the strength to sit in the cafeteria with somebody not in your group, and you do it, you may not impress a soul. But you will impress your master by doing that. One more thing. Jesus heals in absentia. He doesn't have to go. No one's done this yet. No one's, I believe you so much that you don't, I don't even have to see you do it. I don't have to see you spit. I don't have to see you touch. I don't have to see you talk. I don't have to see you do anything. I believe that if you just say this, if you just say it, I believe it happened. And Jesus is more, I think that's the thing that makes him marvel the most, is somebody who takes him at his word without Jesus having to prove it. And this guy does because he knows what it's like. He has authority. What this centurion is saying is, Jesus, I see in you more authority than any disease, than any power on earth, and all I have to know is that you give me your word, you'll do it, and I will believe it. And I want to ask you this. How do you know you're forgiven of your sins? How many of you are forgiven? How do you know? That's the only, that's the only assurance you got. Now, there are a lot of people who go around, oh, yeah, I, I, fell in, I, I fell my sin. I felt my sin leaving my body like a huge vacuum cleaner. <laughs> I've never felt that. I've never once felt that. I've never felt anything like that. I just have to trust that when he says what he says and I do what he says for me to do, he does what he says he's going to do, and that's all the assurance I've got. And that's all the assurance we need, isn't it? How do you know you're right with God tonight? How do you know that you, you have a, a, a saving faith intact right now? How do you know? Because he told you. And then you go on from there, and you start believing the other stuff. You start believing when he says, you know what, you need to give a portion of your income back to me. You mean even when I'm a college student who's poor, when I work a little bit for work study, I still need to give to God? Well, I don't know. What do you think? And, it, and God says this, you can't outgive me. Test me in this and see if I won't pour out the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you don't have room for it. I promise you, you can't give to me without me giving you more. You can't do it, but you've got to trust me. You've got to do it. And so do you? Do you trust him enough about the way you're supposed to live life that you forgive even when you don't feel like it? That you, uh, that you fight lust in your heart even though nobody else around you does and nobody in the world thinks it's a big deal, that it's any, just let it live in your life and express it any way you want to. But you, you know what Jesus says about the good life and about the way you're supposed to live. And he says fight that thing with every fiber of your being. And you say, you know what? I could live like everybody else around me and everybody on TV or I could do what Jesus says just because he said so. And that's all I got. We'll do it. And when you do... The rest of the world will go, why are you bothering with all that? Not impressive to them. It's really impressive to God. Let's be a people who make it our main ambition to impress our God, to make the Master marvel.
If you want to do that, pursue a knowledge of God where you even put your time and effort and energy into it and your money into it. Be a person who, who helps those who are less than you, who, who thinks about how you can impact the lives of people who, who may not be your social equal. And let's be a people that when we read what Jesus says, we automatically do it because Jesus said it. And you do that, God's going to look at you among your peers and say, I've never seen faith like that anywhere. And you will make the master marvel. I hope that's an aspiration for you. It should be as God's people. If, for whatever reason, you have a need to make your life right this, this afternoon, if there's anything that's amiss that the Lord says, the Lord says it's a problem even if man doesn't, impress the Lord enough to be motivated to repent as we stand and as we sing.